0: Good morning! This is Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Dr. Marty Becker is here, a friend of this radio show for a very long time, a friend of mine for a very long time. Dr. Becker, you began this thing called Fear Free. We'll talk about what that is in a moment. Beginning something new in any profession can't be easy. So you came up with this new idea. You said, this has got to work. You sold the idea to veterinary professionals, to industry, now to pet parents and dog trainers and uh, boarding facilities. The list goes, uh, pet sitters, the list goes on and on and on. Did you ever think, and it's all around the world, did you ever think that that would happen? 100% 100% no. When it
1: started out, I had a, a listen to a board of veteran behaviors talk about fear. That was Karen overall. It, it, Karen overall. And it, it changed my life. But at the time, all I thought was, we ha- we take an oath. I think an oath is a sacred obligation. When you, whether it's a religious oath, a military oath, uh, an oath to to in marriage. And we take an oath to prevent and relieve animal pain and suffering. And the way she explained it, we were causing it by what we're doing or not doing. We thought about treating accidents and illnesses. We thought about preventive medicine, but we certainly did not think about emotional well-being. It was not uncommon to have three to four people hold a dog down for a blood draw or a nail trim. It wasn't uncommon to stretch a cat out. Uh, where I, I joke say it was in two zip codes, and, sure. I'm, and I myself was doing it. I yeah. wasn't like I had some gift that nobody else had. But once I realized, hey, that's not collateral damage. That is damaging and permanent damage because her first sentence was fear is the worst thing a social species could experience and it causes permanent damage to the brain and so i had a dean in veterinary school that had me look through the lens of the human animal bond so i was kind of science and soul state of the art state of the heart i always think of that love affair like you post a lot of your cat and i can see the love you have for groucho that human animal bond yeah, nebulous, but easily understood by anybody that listens to this that feels like they have the world's greatest dog or the world's greatest cat. But now it's a time to think of your pet differently, that you can optimal health, optimal happiness, and also enrichment. And, and Steve, I was at the Association of Veterinary Tech Educators uh, meeting. It's, no, it's something similar. It's in Canada, but they, they have 70 Canadian accredited veterinary technician schools. So about half veterinarians, about half technicians are on these programs. I said, how many of you in this room know that a dog has a right or left pod preference? Nobody. Hmm. And I explained how you tell if your dog is, so basically it's right pod or left pod. And why would you want to know if it's right pod or left pod? Why would you want to know? So this is interesting. In case they type an email, <laughs> to you?
0: Why, why would you want to know?
1: It's, uh, this is really interesting. How do you how do you know if a dog's right paw or left paw preference? So first let me tell you a part to draw you in. Guide dogs for the blind. If that dog is right paw preference, 80% pass. If it's left paw preference, 30% pass.
0: That's interesting. So
1: why uh, why is that? So the right paw, it's so it's where the brain crosses. So the right paw goes to the left side of the brain. And the the left side of the brain is the the oxytocin, the prolactin, the phenylepholamine—that comfort you feel in in a relationship, right? Let's just say, if it's left paw preference, it goes to the right side of the brain, which is fight or flight. So, how are you going to know if your pet is right or left paw preference? First of all, when it gets when it gets up from lying down, usually its first step. If it's if it's right paw, it'll take the first step, or take a Kong or some you know some Himalayan dog chew or something that's incredibly tasty, and see which paw they hold it with. And so. If you were going to a shelter or if you were going to uh, a breeder, you should probably get a dog with a right paw preference. They also have a right tail preference. And so I've told this, you know, hold that, hold that, hold on here. Right
0: tail preference? First of all, I'm left-handed, so you're kind of (laughs) insulting me. You're suggesting lefties are... Far less than, than right, and less intelligent. That currently. same that
1: same group asked me that. There was a couple of people that looked pretty stern. I don't think, what did I say? And they were saying, is this something with humans? I don't know about humans.
0: All right. Dogs only have one tail. What so you, what do you mean by left what and right you will, tail? What you will notice The is, way
1: they wag it, the yes, direction? Yes, they will wag more to the right or more to the left. And in studies in dog parks, so a dog goes into a dog park, who's it going to play with? It's going to play with a dog that has a right tail preference first. Because that Where dog, do you
0: read these studies? Well, they're all. This. I, this I can pass cool. this to you.
1: This stuff is, this stuff is, is peer reviewed research. But yeah. it, so what, what I'm, what I'm getting at here, and, and, okay, can I throw one more in here? Sure. So, so if you, Steve, you're on this, you're on me about stopping this dog bite thing, right? And we're talking about ask permission for the pet parent, ask permission for the dog. Which we'll talk if about If that in a dog minute. does not, if his tail's not going to the right, I'd be very careful. Okay, so if you want a dog, It's if its tail's going to the right, it's telling you, yep, I'm going to interact with you.
0: And if the tail is only going to, how can the tail only
1: go to the left? Well, it though? doesn't only go, but what it does, it swings in an arc. So it'll be going more, way more to the right than the left. I've got to see videos. So like I've, a, I've asked, there's people, I won't mention who they are, but as after I've told them this, they go home and it's like, oh my God, I can! you can actually see it. Huh. And so it's it'll be interesting for you to see. I, I'm going to give you one more. I think you. I think, you're, I, think you're, I love. This. I think the listeners can find this fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So unlike humans, we breathe in or out through both nostrils, right? You can't breathe in with another nostril. Dogs can breathe in with one nostril and exhale with the other nostril independently with each other. Okay. They always smell first with their right nostril. Now you're you're thinking why? Because you just told me that it crosses over to the other side the right in a, in smell, it goes to the factory bulb and goes straight to the right side. So the fight or flight response. So first it detects, is this thing something I'm comfortable with? or could be a potential threat. If it's something that they're comfortable with, like we tell people to take their, uh, a a t-shirt or a piece of bedding or something in the veterinary hospital. They also use the scent of a dog in estrus and let them smell it. Then it goes to the left nostril and they sniff with the left nostril if it's something that's offensive or potentially dangerous, they continue to sniff with the right nostril. And what they used is uh, alcohol. And they used, they had veterinarians that worked most of the day and they put a Q-tip under their armpit and they left it there and they collected the samples from veterinarians working in a hospital all day. And that was very offensive, very risky for the dog. So it stayed on the right side of the nostril. Wow. So we're starting to learn more. I think science is painting in the numbers. Like, we always knew if a dog come charging at you and they're snarling or things, right? But I never worried about, we had dogs that were gun-shy and all stuff growing up, but never thought about that that was potentially damaging to them.
0: Huh. Well, I learned a lot, so I'm going to get continuing education credit. Interesting stuff, but what we haven't talked about yet are dog bites specifically, and we will, uh, and a new idea regarding dog bite prevention. We'll talk about fear-free and how that may matter to you, these veterinary practices and veterinarians that are fear-free certified. Why would you care? You should, and we'll tell you why when we come back on WGN. The one and only Dr. Marty Becker is here. We're talking about everything, I think, including dog bites. So years ago, the American Veterinary Medical Association said, you know what, here's an idea. Let's minimize dog bites because it's been a problem forever that we want to see reduced. Having said that, most dogs don't bite. I mean, you consider the number of people that are killed by guns compared to dog bites, there's no comparison. Even the people that are killed by lightning strikes, there's no comparison. So considering how many dogs we have in America, it's. but it's still, you don't want it to happen to you, and dog bites do happen too often, right? And to children. Yeah, especially to children. So. American Veterinary Medical Association years ago said, you know what, you should really ask the person handling the dog, whoever's walking that dog, can I pet your dog? Makes perfect sense. But I thought about this. I think they're missing something. For all those years, we've been missing something. Why aren't we asking the dog? Are you in the mood to be pet? And it's not only about dog bite prevention. I think it's about dog welfare as well. What do you think? You know, it's funny when when you're saying that,
1: I was just replaying maybe 20, 30 years of here and ask, your, ask permission to pet the dog. That's what everybody said. And it was the same stuff every year for National Dog Bite Prevention Week. Yeah. Ask permission to pet the dog. It still is. Yeah. Well, you know what? People that have the dog aren't equipped to give permission for that dog to be petted. One is they don't know they're, they've never been trained to look at the subtle signs of fear, anxiety, and stress, and or to be willing to tell people, "Don't pet my dog." If they have an aggressive dog, yeah, they might have a muzzle. They say, "Don't pet my dog." You'll even see stuff on leashes and on things, you know, uh, you know, kind of like uh, people that say six feet away for COVID. But Steve, you were you came to me, you know, a few months ago, all wound up, excited about thinking of flipping it so you don't take away asking permission to pet but you do ask permission of the pet and so we kind of worked together and came up with a group of experts about an acronym stop with two p's so first of all don't just walk up direct eye contact leaning over put your fist in their face and say oh can i pet your dog you stop and you're gonna have uh you know, you're gonna. The next step is T is for talk. You're gonna have a conversation and say, Oh, what kind of dog is it? What's his name? Uh, Is it friendly? Is it going to be petted? And then you observe. Now you're toggling to the dog and you're seeing if that dog has uh, a pinned ears, a tucked forehead, is licking its lips, is salivating, is yawning, is shivering, shaking, panting, leaning away, stiff, whale eyed, which they're looking in this kind of thousand yard stare. Don't pet the dog.
0: And it doesn't yeah. have to be all those things. It, it can be one of those things. It can things. be a- yeah. absolutely
1: one of those things. And and then uh, make a plan that I'm going to get down, I'm going to give a treat, uh, I'm going to take the leash, and then finally you get to go to go to pet. So we're not talking about something that takes a long time, but it, it is that kind of discussion. And And you kind of mentioned this in the opening here. It's not just going to reduce bites. But it's going to prevent fear, anxiety, and stress in this pet, and I, I just want to always be where um, when you're always looking to remove or reduce triggers to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress, and increase happy and calm. In Steve, since you and I've been involved with Fear Free here for 13 years, you were there for kind of the first part of the embers. We both interact with pets differently. Uh, I take when I go to Hawaii, I see a lot of dogs on the beach. And I always take treats with me. And because a lot of times somebody's sitting there with a the dog and you go by their area and their territorial. And sometimes the same people are in the same patch of of, of um, the beach every day. You come by one day and throw that dog a treat. I usually get uh, uh, barbecued chicken from a little guy in a shack there. Okay, this is not just a treat. This is, a, this is a, a treat. Yeah. This is the heavy artillery. This is the heavy out. artillery. Yeah. Well, guess what? You walk by that, that, that dog sees you see, it's a friend and you teach people, start teaching them how to interact differently. So I look forward to the day, uh, you and I were talking earlier about in our day, you know, we're getting up there, Steve, right? Thanks. We're getting up there. Who used to go to your house? Who used to go to your house? Uh, as far as to interject, it was the milkman. Is that what you're referring yeah. to? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, the milkman I'm did, but the post office and no
0: milkman. I'm not
1: that old. Post office I'm every milkman. day, and the utility utility reader. Yeah. Right? So now utility. Reader. How many people? Oh, they used to always come out and read me read the reader or read the meter. Now they do it remotely. But oh, they always came out once a month and read your meter and saw how much juice you used. I've never had my meter read. Yeah. So, go ahead. So, you you grew up a different life than I did. Yes. <laughs> so, but now, how many people How many people come to your house? There's probably somebody who comes to your house every day. Oh, it, right. It's, it's FedEx, it's, UPS, yep. Amazon Delivers. Blah, blah. So, we're seeing a lot more dog bites from people that don't know how to handle pets. And, and there's e- a lot more dogs yeah, on and top even, of everything If you look else. at dogs at UPS, there's a great thing on there. And some of these dogs, they love the, the ones that give treats, these dogs just crowd around them and love them. But even there, there's room for improvement yeah. because most of them still come out with direct eye contact. And so, Steve, you've worked with Board of Veterinary Behaviors to write books, and Fear Free is based on the bedrock of Board of Veterinary Behaviors. So I doubt these very many listeners know that there actually are a hundred of them, and there's 50 residents, which I found out the other day, so it's growing rapidly. Yes. But uh, it's based in science, so... It's based in science, but we're going to have pets that are healthier and happier and definitely have more enrichment. So we don't want them
0: to be born retired. We want them to express their genetic exuberance. And and we're talking about a huge change, a paradigm shift in veterinary medicine. So at one point in time, since you allude to age, I'll talk about yours, <laughs> in veterinary medicine, when you began in veterinary medicine, or actually this was before you began, I think, uh it wasn't even thought that dogs and cats have emotions. I mean, it's hard for us to even put our heads around that today. But that's what veterinarians were taught. Just get the job done. The the feeling, pets didn't have feelings. That didn't matter. Now, anyone who's had a pet knows that that's not true. Later, science came along to demonstrate that they have the same brain chemistry, essentially, that we do. So they more or less, have the same feelings we do. They may express them differently, but they have the same exact feelings we do as well. But veterinarians weren't taught that some time ago. <laughs> I, I'm chuckling here because I've been called America's
1: veterinarian because of doing TV, and then it kind of gets itself. America's veterinarian was taught in from 1976 to 1980 when I was in veterinary school that pets did not feel, animals did not feel pain. There you go. And if they did, it was good. Because they were immobile. And so I don't know. How, thinking back, I'm thinking, you know, you step on a dog's foot and it cries out. How could you, people you, have you, thought that? You dehorn a cow and it cries. You brand them, they cry out. I mean, I don't even know. But a professor taught that. And it was perpetuated. And you mentioned these pathways. They have the same neural pathways for pain, the same kind of brain chemistries. And it keeps getting more and more about the, the science kind of painting in the numbers of what we've experienced or intuited it um steve on your national radio show how many times have you talked to somebody who's calls in because their pet is mourning the loss of another pet mm. or somebody is sick and the pet diagnosed this because it was known to draw near i mean thousands of stories sure. right so now they're not wackos but instead it's you know they join up with, you know millions of people that have, have
0: had the same experience or look at the same science behind it All right well I want to talk about what Fear Free is and how it's made a difference in not only veterinary medicine, dog trainers, pet sitters, dog walkers, and all over the world as well. You're shaking your head, yes, but boy, oh boy, I've, I've been in this industry a long time. I don't think of anything that's happened that has inspired so much change. Uh, we'll talk about that change when we come back on WGN. It's my honor to say I've co-authored a couple of stories for Psychology Today with Dr. Mark Beckoff, an ethologist who is famed for the work he has done on several different topics. He's written literally dozens of books, mostly about understanding dogs. His latest, Dogs Demystified, an A to Z guide to all things canine forward written by Dr Jane Goodall. In fact, when I interviewed Dr Goodall, she once told me that the most amazing creatures on the planet, she believes, are dogs. I wonder what Dr Beckoff thinks about that. We'll also talk about play with Dr Beckoff and the importance of playing with dogs. It turns out to be uh, something that he has studied, not only play in dogs, but play in various species. On the planet. Why do, why do, why do we play? Why do dogs play? He actually knows the answers to these things, and I'll ask him the questions next week on Steve Dale's Pet World. Here he is, Dr. Marty Becker. In my life in veterinary medicine, I don't think anyone has been as impactful. And it's not only what we're about to talk about, which is fear free, but you said a long time ago, there's this thing called the human animal bond. You were not the first to say it, but You were the first to popularize it, and you were the first to say, There's science behind this thing. Now, all these years later, we call them fur babies, right? You know, they're members of the family. It's it's amazing to think
1: back of uh, the veterinary career. Of coming in and wanting to be a dairy practitioner, changed the first half hour of the first day because of Leo Bustad, who did coin the term the human animal bond. And he was also the first person to look at the human animal health connection, really. And there was others along with him, R.K. Anderson and other people in the, the co founders of the Delta Society. But I, I just still can't believe it took that long. So that's, I graduate in 1980, and it takes clear till, uh, you know, 2009, th- 30 years later. When abortive veterinary behavior starts talking about fear and how fear is the worst thing a social species can experience and cause permanent damage to the brain, Karen Overall did a brilliant job in this because she talked about behavior produced physiologic response, so behavior is medicine. Fear is caused by something painful or something disturbing. She described uh, a syringe in a veterinary hospital. What's the petsy When I get a blood draw, when I get an anti- antibiotic injection, which stings, which I get serenia, which is a drug used to prevent vomiting, which stings a lot. Or I get a vaccination, all painful. Now, guess what? When I see somebody coming with a syringe, that's disturbing. And then she went on to talk about animals are the equivalent of a one-year-old child. This is where she really got me. I can remember this clear as day. She goes, they are, take a one-year-old child and an animal. They're taken against their will for health care. That was how she described it. Yeah. Number two, they have zero idea why a procedure benefits them. I'm at a veterinary emergency clinic today, and a dog that comes in and having a catheter place, which it hurts, how does that benefit me? How does examining this wound from this dog bite or got them all by these dogs benefit me? How does this injection, this antibody can benefit me? Number three, they can't anticipate or expect the relief of fear, anxiety, and stress or pain, even if it's moments away. Like if we go in with something, we know. Uh, my wife recently uh, got thrown off a horse, and so she goes into the doctor. They're going to examine this hip. They know she knows. They're probably going to do about you know fifteen seconds worth of rotation, and it's done. I'm going to be here thirty minutes, and we go home. Well, they don't have that that comprehension, and finally, and most importantly, they can't flee the threat. So I was talking to somebody today that went to a theme park, and they they decided everybody else went on the roller coaster, they didn't go. They fled the threat. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to go to a Halloween spook house, you don't go. If you didn't want to get a COVID shot, you didn't get it. But pets are taken against their will for uh, let's just call it health care. So now it's just a movement to look at every animal with both their physical and
0: emotional well being. That's what it is a a paired, I guess, a paired approach. And you said, as a part of all this, that we're even going to keep an emotional record. Let, so when my pet goes to the veterinarian, yes. veterinarian indicates, oh, uh, they complained of stomach issues or yes. GI issues, yeah. or these are the vaccines the pet yeah. got. Now there's an emotional record, yeah. and veterinarians are doing this yeah. all over the world. Yeah. Well, I love I love in social media how you document
1: uh, Groucho's visits to a fear-free practice. And what they do is, um, and you know I love corny Steve, so you're probably going to go, you're, you're really going to groan on this one. But what you do, so you do put down the temperature pulse, the respiration, the weight, what the vaccination history is, what the signal is. that had, you know, bloody diarrhea for three days. But on the other side, we put down where did the pet want to be examined? It was If it was on the floor, was that good? Was it in half of the cat carrier with a blanket covered it? Mm-hmm. Uh, did it have any preference for males or females? Did it prefer the room being uh, darkened with indirect light? Did uh, did it do better if we examine it from the head backwards or the back end of the pet forwards? What treats did it like? Did uh, Was there any uh, adverse thing with pheromones or was there, were there any instruments that it was particularly fearful of, like an otoscope? And so all that's put in the emotional record. So now pretty soon you get to where you kind of understand when you come back in with that pet, it is curated for you. You know uh, that sometimes it's not even in the exam or it's done someplace else. But when you hear it, it just makes sense. It's like, well, why didn't we always do it that way? Well, I don't know why we didn't always do it that way. I know that I don't have some special gift. We've oh, got, oh yes, you well, do. Well, Steve, but you, go ahead. You've been part of Fear Free from the start, literally mm-hmm. for 13 years. Boarded veterinary behaviorists are the bedrock. We say that. We've got twelve uh boarded anesthesiologists. Uh as far as just that innate thing of animals, Temple Grandin is has taken a special interest now in dogs and cats. So this this person that transformed the animal, uh the the, the industry related to the treatment of cattle and swine and things like that mm-hmm. is now turning these superpowers to medicine. And some of the stuff that you'll see based on her is the pet's first visit to the vet, there is absolutely nothing that causes for anxiety and stress. Even if you bring it back a couple days later for vaccinations, that it's 100% positive, that the pet goes home with a syringe. And you know, like for Groucho, what you do is Groucho's favorite treats are delivered with that. So it associates the syringe not with something painful, it's something good. There's actually uh, this veterinary emergency group I was talking about, Veg. Mm-hmm. They have a background of... The ambient noise in that emergency clinic that pet parents can then have at home to desensitize the pet to if hmm. it ever has an emergency visit, it's heard this with a positive connotation. Wow. That's just crazy. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So, really, now what uh, ideally there's a thing called um, uh, Go Dog, a new, uh, I have no commercial relationships, so I'll mm-hmm. oh, do that, but it's a chain of, of boarding, it's daycare, boarding, grooming, uh, dog walking, training. training, and veterinary services that are all fear-free. And it's growing rapidly. And there's a chain of, of grooming places called uh, Scent Hound. <laughs> all fear-free. Yeah, And so you're starting to see it now where, wouldn't it be great to take your dog to the groomer where it wants to go to the groomer? Yes. And take your dog to boarding or daycare where it wants to go there versus not you just dropping it off and and assuming that it's having a good time. It's just remarkable to see what this is doing. And then it manifests itself as better medicine, reduced injuries. And the people in the veterinary profession, I've spent the last two days talking about the, the burnout issues, all of us related to animals. And you as a correspondent or myself as a veterinarian, love animals. And when you're working with them day to day, you love animals and want them to love you back. And that's the thing. When they think they're going to be harmed or killed, they don't love you back. And so I just don't know. I always look for something, what the negative is, but I just don't. I've never seen it with fear-free. The pet wins. The pet parent wins. The practitioner wins. The
0: practice wins. The professional wins. Uh, More than that, uh, the world has won. Because we have a human-animal bond, and it's true all over the world, Right. And uh, you mentioned uh, you can't see the tie I'm wearing, friends. But the tie belongs to a friend of mine who passed away, a behaviorist in Mexico, who with me was going to work on something regarding Fear Free to bring it to Mexico. And now Fear Free is in languages that are all of, I don't know how many languages, I don't know how many nations you're in. 77 nations. Amazing.
1: Yeah, there's a real thirst in China to bring it in there, to China, to South Korea. Uh, We're small companies, so with limited resources. But I will make a prediction, Steve. So this will be on tape, okay? Okay. I think within three years, you will see a line of Fear Free products at grocery stores.
0: Hmm.
1: I think you will see Chobani yogurt from Fear Free cows. I think you might very well see, I'm just going to say Tyson Chicken. We've actually talked to Chobani, but I'm going to say just throughout Tyson Chicken... Uh, yeah, they're for consumption, but they will have lived a better life. They'll have less fear, anxiety, and stress. I think you'll see it for um, wildlife rehabilitation. See it for uh, zoos and aquariums. They're doing a lot for the enrichment, but there's things to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress. I think you see it in research. I, I think you'll see it in all animals. And, and when you travel the world, and you've been in Mexico a lot, you see a lot of beasts of burden in places where that donkey is there – f-150 pickup or john deere tractor right yeah but grandpa beat it grandpa beat it dad beat it and so yeah. you see them they don't realize the damage that they're doing by this physical trauma or the emotional trauma of letting him be out in the bacon heat and it's just
0: crazy it's just one of those things that just happened to catch on and uh, uh, it didn't just happen to catch on the timing was right and the guy leading the whole the whole thing was right that's you dr marty becker we are out of time which really should be against the law. You should never be out of time with Dr. Marty Becker. Thank you so much. Thanks, dear friend. Yes, Dr. Becker, I was once arrested for being out of time with you. Uh, It is against the law. Uh, Listen, I want to jump in there and say one more thing. Fearfreehappyhomes.com. Check out that website. That's for all of you. So Fear Free is the initiative that we've been talking about. And it's not only about veterinary professionals, which include technicians as well as veterinarians, but it's also about dog trainers, as we spoke about, and uh, dog groomers, and also animal shelters, but also all of you. There's tons of information. And the great thing about this website is that everything is read. So first of all, it's written, all the articles are written by people who know about companion animals, often veterinarians, sometimes veterinary behaviorists, and sometimes pet journalists like myself, who also happen to be certified animal behavior consultants. But moreover, everything is proofed, not only by an editor who is expert herself in everything having to do with pets, but it's like a peer-reviewed journal, really, because then it's read over. Everything is read over by a boarded veterinary behaviorist or a technician specialist in behavior. Isn't that incredible? And it's just a website, and everything is verified over and over. And what's on the site? Information to help all of you. So for dogs with common behavior problems, cats with common behavior problems, that's what the site is all about, fearfreehappyhomes.com. She is a veterinary parasitologist, Dr. Catherine Duncan. Here's the problem. It's a problem. It's getting cooler outside, and as it gets cooler out ever so gradually, depending on where you live in America, people stop giving tick and flea protection to pets. It's generally what our behavior is. But the facts say, as I understand them, Dr. Duncan, we should not be doing that.
2: That's correct. So the threat of ticks extends farther than the summer. I know we always think about that because we're spending more time outdoors and we're interacting with the environment for ticks. But there are certain ticks that actually prefer those cooler months. And some of those are those that can transmit the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So definitely not a time to be lax on that tick control for our pets.
0: All right, so I want to talk about Lyme a little bit. There is more, or tick disease in general, people generally think of Lyme, and certainly in the fall, that is a time we ought to be thinking about Lyme, and therefore protection for our pets as well, for our dogs in particular. So the dog is out, and having a good time, and that dog is not protected anymore, and as you allude to, that is the time of year when lime is most likely to hit our dogs
2: it's definitely the most uh, often time that they'll interact with the ticks exodus scapularis or black legged ticks is the common name that can then transmit the bacteria that causes Lyme and so when we take our pets out really important when they come back in to look for any ticks very closely remove them properly try to get all of that mouth parts out uh, don't use any of those tales you hear about lip matches or Vaseline it can actually cause more damage and they may regurgitate that pathogen more likely and then talk to your vet about those tick control products most in regions where lyme disease is endemic they will definitely recommend that tick control but it's a good time to listen to them and stay on it through those months
0: and what kind of products are we talking about
2: so there's a lot on the market. I kind of break it up into two different groups. So there's your topical products that are usually given, you know, a large volume at the base of the neck, um, a spray or a collar. They're going to repel ticks but then also have some killing effects. And then there's a big drug class that actually are given orally. An example of this is a product called Brevecto. And so these are going to kill those ticks before they get that chance to transmit those pathogens typically. And Brevecto is unique because it is extended duration. So it lasts a full 12 weeks versus others on the market are just those four weeks. So you get eight additional weeks. And that just helps with owners feeling like they aren't having to dose these products as often.
0: Well, that's a huge issue. I'm glad you mentioned that because when you read the data, and I have, the biggest problem pet parents have is a word called compliance. We forget to give the product. So if the product lasts longer and I know Brevecto also comes with little reminder stickers you can put on your calendar. And there are other ways. There's an app, I even believe, that if you are tech savvy that you can use to remind you to give the product. But the, the biggest issue, as I understand it, is, has nothing to do with the product working or not. It's just us remembering to give it, and it's not going to work if we don't give it.
2: That's exactly right. We always say the best tick control product is the one that's given regularly.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about fleas a little bit. Again, as we move into cooler months, for much of the country, depends on where you live, people think, okay, those little buggers, they're not happening anymore. And I'm not even talking about the dead of winter. I'm talking about moving into the fall. Fleas don't care, do they?
2: Fleas actually like a warmer environment, but that temperature, there is a range. So you typically see the biggest flea issues in the southern United States. And if you're living in those regions with the summer that we've had and what we're predicting to be a warmer fall as well, those fleas are likely to stay out longer before they go into some sort of uh, hypobiotic pupa stage where they're going to wait and come back out in the spring. So definitely a good idea to stay on these products through that time because they may be out longer. Than normal.
0: One point I also want to make, people go to a pet store very often and say, oh yeah, that product looks good because it's on sale. Or that product looks good because I could reach it. The other products are way up there. How important is getting veterinary advice to ensure that the product you choose covers the tick disease that happens where you live?
2: It's very important. So different ticks are in different regions, and they carry different pathogens that could cause diseases. So talking to your vet about what's in your region is honestly one of the most important things when they are then helping you pick that product. I always talk to my vet about what I want to use solely because I trust the regulatory agencies that are approving these products. And so going to a veterinarian who has that knowledge gives me that peace of mind before I use that product on my pet.
0: Well, I would think if you're asking your veterinarian, as you just suggested, you're kind of talking to yourself. She is a (laughs) veterinary parasitologist. Dr. Catherine Duncan, thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, Steve.
0: So I've got good news for you and then some not so good news. So there were 17,597 dog-related claims having to do with dog bites in the U.S., In 2022, that's actually down. For the first time, the numbers went down in well over a decade, about 2%. So it's not hugely down, but it's down from the previous year in 2021. But here's the news that's somewhat disconcerting to me as I dug into these numbers just a little bit. The number of claims since 2003 has gone from 7,359 I'm talking dog bite claims, to 17,597 that I just gave you. That number way exceeds the percent increase in the number of dogs. So, yeah, certainly since 2003, there are far more dogs living with us than there were back then. But this number doesn't correlate. It way exceeds. Now, it begs several questions. Uh, Back in 2003, maybe... Not as many people claimed dog bites on their insurance policies. I don't know about that. Uh, But I do know this, that there are reasons for concern. What are they? What's going on? Are there more dangerous dogs among us than there were back in 2003? I would suggest yes, for a variety of reasons that I just don't have time to describe right now. But I do answer Yes, most dog bites are preventable. All experts say that. So are we not doing as well as we could or should be doing at understanding how to prevent these dog bites? And to that, actually, I say yes with an absolute yes as well. Both topics I will be talking about on future programs right here on Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Talk to you next week bright and early.